Today on the Zabecast, if the NFL in August is so important, then how come dot dot dot? Drew Olson and I solved the league's ridiculous double-think on preseason. OSU's Friday evening news dump on Urban Meyer has bounced the entire narrative in a new direction, but is it a good one for Urban? All that plus you calling me fake. If you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Monday, August 6, 2018. Thank you for the download. Hope you had a good weekend. As far as sports weekends go, I think this one might have probably come in dead last in the ranking of the weekends. That's right. Once upon a time, I endeavored to rank every sports weekend from 1 to 52 based on what's going on, the caliber of sporting events, etc., etc., a sort of a pre-ranking of the weekend, not a ranking based on, holy shit, this game went to overtime and this game went to extra innings and this get No, because that's going to vary. Some weekends, because of the quality of the games that unfold before our eyes, are better than others. I'm just talking about going into the weekend. Can you say, hey, you know what? Some good shit on this weekend. This weekend sucked. I mean, yes, you had the Hall of Fame speeches on Saturday night. More on that in a second. And you had baseball. You had Yankees, Red Sox. Uh, <laughs> the Yankees did not do well in that set. Four games set. They lost to all four. <laughs> Went from five and a half back to nine and a half back. And thank you. Come again. You had a little bit of golf, short field event, Bridgestone. Tiger was in it. So that was kind of good. But then he sucked. He didn't play worth shit on the weekend. And was basically not on TV. Justin Thomas, your winner. Other than that, I mean, oh, and then there was NASCAR, I think. Does anyone watch NASCAR anymore? There is not the preseason game that normally lives on Sunday night because they moved at the Thursday night. So I think this weekend might be dead last. If somebody out there has indeed ranked the sports weekends, pre-ranked them based on what they typically contain. I'd like to know where this past weekend fits. If it's not DFL, dead freaking last, then it's got to be close. That said, let me start with a couple corrections and follow-ups. Correction number one. Apparently, Blake Griffin claims he is not giving his ex-wife or ex-girlfriend, his baby mama, $3.2 million per year in child support. Bryn Cameron, his ex, his baby mama, and he put out a statement saying the reports of $238,000 a month in child support is totally erroneous and we are working on co-parenting these children the best we can, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's what they say. It did seem insanely high, but I, like many, like many other people, ran with it and just assumed that it was legitimate. Dare I say that was a bit of fake news or incorrect news? More on that later in the podcast. Secondly, I stand corrected on the hot coffee situation with McDonald's. I don't recall where I addressed this or not. If I did here, I apologize. I did mention it on my show in D.C. I think I said so on Twitter. I'll say so again right here. Yes, people have said, Zave, your take on the supposedly ridiculous jury award 
of $2.9 million to the woman who burned her thighs with the piping hot McDonald's coffee. You got to read more about it. You got to watch the HBO feature on it because it was not illegitimate. Interesting story. This one from Andrew Graham in Dallas, Texas. Steez. Love your podcast. Was listening to a portion regarding hot coffee. Nice documentary on that instant that might change your mind on the subject. Don't worry. My mind has been changed, but I do want to watch it. I only mention it because it's a great documentary. It'd be worth your time during the last few weeks of the summer until glorious football starts once again. You're the best. Sincerely, Andrew Graham, Dallas, Texas. Thank you for that. I will try to watch it. So, now that we're done with the corrections and follow-ups, a quick thought on the Hall of Fame and what happened this weekend. T.O. did not attend, famously, and was really not mentioned, but in passing, uh, in Canton, Ohio. He gave a speech before 3,000 or so fans and UT Chattanooga alum, the Mox. The jacket he wore, the uh, famous, is it mustard-colored uh, what is the color? What is the actual name of the color of the Hall of Fame jacket? Hold on a second. Uh, if you'll just indulge me, do I have my waiting music on this machine or not? No, I don't have the waiting music. I just want to. Uh, there's one place to go, I know, to find the color. Ready? I'm going to Google this Crayola 64 colors. Okay, boom. All right. Uh, let me go to images. I'm going to find the Crayola color. Oh, here's a chart right here. <laughs> okay. Um, I think that jacket is goldenrod. It's either goldenrod or it's sun glow. One of the two. Uh, hex code FFCF48. Uh, and goldenrod is FCD975. Okay. So the jacket that Randy Moss, the goldenrod jacket he was wearing, the Hall of Fame jacket, had to be flown Saturday morning, or I guess Friday night or whatever, down through Atlanta. A friend of his picked it up in Canton, flew to Atlanta, missed his connecting flight, and had to drive it to Chattanooga, Tennessee to get it there on time for his speech at like 3 in the afternoon. It's so fucking embarrassing. It's just insane. Yes, the the enshrinees got their jackets in a separate ceremony on Friday night, which, of course, the Hall of Fame puts on, maybe sells tickets to. I don't know. I'm sure it's a nice ceremony, but T.O. wasn't there. He told you guys he wasn't going to be there. You couldn't mail him or FedEx him the jacket a day early or a week. No, they had to be little petty bitches about it. And now it goes even further. Mike Florio writing for Pro Football Talk. Hall of Fame ponders a T.O. rule. Oh, yes, a rule. <laughs> Just what the NFL needs. More rules. Per multiple sources, writes Florio, the Hall of Fame currently is considering a requirement that candidates for enshrinement commit to showing up for the Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony before the selection committee makes its final choices. Oh, does anyone out here see any potential problems with this approach? Raise your hands. Oh, I see a hand. Oh, I see Oh, I see lots of hands. Because you people aren't brain dead. You're smart. Listen to this podcast. Of course there's problems with this. So let's see, you don't sign your commitment saying I'll show up. 
Now you're letting people into the Hall of Fame based on another criteria that has nothing to do with what that player did on the field, which, by the way, is supposedly the only thing you're supposed to consider. Furthermore, let's say, okay, all the finalists, they sign, yes, if I am there, I will show up. And then they're enshrined. And then the day comes, and then all of a sudden the inductee says, nah, I'm not going to show up. What's the penalty? You got to take him out of the Hall of Fame for this? Oh, my God. Florio points all this stuff out, including a third point, which is, is the Hall of Fame willing to change its bylaws to permit consideration for induction to stray beyond events and dynamics unrelated to the candidate's football career? If an inclination to not attend the ceremony becomes a factor, what about other things that are supposedly off limits when it comes to screening Hall of Famers? What if you get up there and give a speech about something that uh, rubs people a lot the wrong way? Out of, out of wedlock births or a pro-life speech or anti-illegal immigration. Are you going to then yank that guy out of the, hey man, don't make this political. What if you wear a shirt that has some sort of message on it underneath your jacket? It just, the, the, the list is endless. It's just amazing. This is what pinheads do when they overthink their own importance. This is when they get, this is when small people, insecure people, get drunk on their own power. They think, well, we need a rule now because T.O. did this. Nine out of ten candidates going forward for the rest of my lifetime are not going to skip this induction ceremony. But the Hall of Fame is deadly worried about it. In one news report, T.O. basically won the argument about the pinheads who are in charge of this thing. T.O. is right. Look at these guys. Oh, we need a rule now. Oh, he's not going to show up? We need a rule. Not giving him his jacket to the last minute. Get the fuck out of here. Grow up, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And for everyone who was on that panel, including Jason Cole, who I had a good debate with on Friday on my show in D.C., stick to football. I know. It's hard, right? I mean, it's not hard. It really isn't. It's just you choose not to. Nobody cares about your moral stances or your personal opinions. I know that's hard to believe. We're not going to say that you're an immoral person for voting Ray Lewis in on the first ballot, if that's the case. Do your, to quote the great Bill Belichick, do your job. Vote on guys based on what they did on the field itself. Even more appropriate to use this song today because it is used after every Packer touchdown at Lambeau Field. And over the weekend, a great tradition was held at Lambeau. Family night, despite the fact that some wicked rain came through. Our friend Drew Olson joins us now. How was family night at go lambert field it's a tradition unlike any other zabe 80,000 people watching a boring training camp practice with an offensive lineman suffering an injury oh dagger do tell all right david bakhtiari the uh, left tackle the all pro left tackle the probably arguably the second most important guy on the roster behind aaron Rodgers because right. he's the guy who keeps aaron Rodgers clean right uh suffered a 
Slight, uh, he was carted off the field. Sprained ankle is what they're telling us. Carting off issues. is bad. Limping off is bad. Carting off Carting is off worse. Carting off is really bad. So what's the prognosis for Bakhtiari? A couple weeks out in camp, he'll, maybe? Yes, he'll be good. He he won't see any. He won't see the field during training camp, I'm sure. Okay. Which is part of a discussion I wanted to tee up with you, Let's babe. do that. Let's do that, as a matter of fact. It, it is unknown as to whether or not a little bit of training camp and or preseason is good and needed and beneficial, or if it is a needless exposure to injury. I say this is unknown, Drew, because very few teams have tried it with large swaths of their team. Certain players who have a history of injuries have been pretty much held out of all August activity, but I've yet to see a team say, you know what, anyone who's a starter is not going to play or even practice in August, it's not worth it. I've never understood the NFL ecosystem regarding this because we hold everybody out of the last training camp game because we don't want anybody hurt right on the doorstep, right? Right. But that makes the least sense because if you were going to play guys, you'd want them to play right before and have momentum and, and timing and everything going into that first game. Right. Wouldn't he have practiced or like a guy that you're like, well, we want our guys to be ready and coordinated in case they forgot how to football after seven years in the league for week one. Okay. Yeah. So that's why you let them play in the second and third preseason game. But you hold them out of the fourth for fear of injury. Yes. So how much did how much got retained from a game that was three weeks ago almost. Precisely. That that was always that always flummoxed me. And then the idea that, okay, that third game, they used to treat it like it was the Super Bowl of the preseason. They, the NFL media industrial complex sold it like, <laughs> that's the one you got to watch. This that's is the one. Right. This is how we got to get it. And then you realize it's just bullshit. It's meaningless right? vanilla schemes, and it's just evaluation. So the Packers are in a situation where now both of their starting tackles are likely – going to not play like maybe Brian Bulaga the right tackle could maybe be ready for that third game when they play in Oakland the third exhibition game right but this Bakhtiari kid now he's probably out for the the camp so you have neither starting left tackle why the fuck would you expose Aaron Rodgers to any risk whatsoever agreed jabroni so there it makes no sense to play him whatsoever plus and the thing with Aaron Rodgers he doesn't need camp he could walk in and start playing but the guys who are new Jimmy Graham and guys like that might need time to adjust to him so they kind of need it, but then they could just beef up the practice time. And it speaks to, Zabe, my bigger issue with it, which is why doesn't the NFL come up with do something completely radical? The preseason's already a joke. Put the quarterbacks in red jerseys. Don't let them get hit. Ooh, they practice them... like that all the time. Let them be touched and tagged, but let them not be hit. And you can't tell me then Then you could get your timing. That's... Then you could see live bullets. That's a great idea, but let me go back to what you just mentioned. The NFL media industrial complex would never allow it because it would render their full price August games as undeniable exhibitions that are not I, real games. I disagree because if you're a Packers fan and you're paying, well, I think they do reduce a little bit, but if you're paying almost full price, would you rather see Deshaun Kaiser and Brett Hundley in full contact or Aaron Rodgers for three quarters wearing a red jersey? I'd rather see Aaron Rodgers it's, for three quarters wearing a red jersey. I agree. They would they would love to see that, but here what I'm what I'm saying is that the the media industry the, the, the NFL the shield, let's call it that. The shield. Yeah, that's the good, shield good call. the shield has to maintain a veneer 
of legitimacy of these preseason games. It's why they want them called preseason games and not exhibition games. Because some media outlets call them exhibitions, and the NFL gently reminds them these are preseason games. Yeah, well. I know, it's bullshit. It's it's, all bullshit. It's not a used car, it's pre-owned. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, come on. So I just think that that's the way to solve a lot of the problems. And you can't tell me that, well, a guy's going to be torqued up because the stadium's going to be full and he's going to go hit the quarterback. No, he won't because he he doesn't practice his asses off the team. They're not going to – they know Ah, to to pull up and practice. But it's the opponents, though. Your opponents. Yeah. All it takes is one ginned-up seventh-rounder who's trying to show hustle and make the team, diving at Aaron Rodgers' knees – and yeah. saying, oops, sorry, I forgot he has a red jersey on. How about this? What are the chances that Aaron Rodgers, had he not played, had he not done any full contact or full speed drills or games in August, would suck, suck in week one of the NFL? They're pretty low. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's not going to forget how to football. No. So would you rather have David Bakhtiari fresh on both ankles, not having jacked one up, for the start of the season, or would you rather have him a little rusty to start, like, or I'm sorry, would you rather have him fresh but a little rusty for week one, or would you rather have him a little practiced but now with a ankle yeah, that's fucked it's up? It's not even It's close. a deal, right, it's a deal every fan would say, no, you know what, I'd rather have no. that ankle healthy. And and now it's to the point where Packers fans are savvy enough to say, well, if Bulaga and Bakhtiari why the hell would you even think about playing around? That's why, that's why you have so Brett now, and Deshaun Kaiser. And now it starts to cascade into, well, if these guys are out, then these exactly. guys should be out. Then, and here's another thing. Why are you worried about getting Aaron Rodgers' looks in August when you admit Every one of your schemes is vanilla. Yeah. Every defensive scheme you're going against is vanilla. So uh, can't you simulate that with extra practice time on plays against your defense? Because isn't that about the same thing with Jimmy Graham? I mean, I would do all walkthroughs for veterans, and I would basically treat August as a case for rookies and undrafted free agents a chance to play tackle football and show us what you got. Yeah, I mean, maybe even rookies, second, third-year guys who are kind of working their way up, you know, guys that are low on the depth chart, guys, a, tr- a guy trying to go from special teams to the rotation at linebacker or something. Right. Yeah, but you know what? No team has been radical enough or forward-thinking enough to say, we're going to do this. And, if and, and you know, the, all the you know, mythology is like, well, you know, what about the rest of the team? What are they going to think if players X, who Y, and Z? Right, yeah. exactly. That's when you say, who gives a shit? And you tell those guys who might grumble, oh, you're unhappy because you have to play, and this guy doesn't? Okay, we'll note that in your file. Yeah. And we'll but, see if you make the final 53. Complains the, about playing. The absurdity of it was, okay, we've, we're kind of getting out of the fact that Game 3 is no longer the Super Bowl of the preseason, Week 3, because that was always, oh, this is when it matters. This is when we'll be able to tell how good your team is going to be. Dress everybody's trying. rehearsal. Yes. Well, but why, I, and I always thought, well, why is that, okay, the, the thinking is if a guy sprains his ankle or something, then you'll have him back. How many one-week injuries are there in the NFL where a guy's like, going to miss one week and then be back the week after? I think like, most like, one-week injuries are zero-week injuries because in the throes play. of a game, they'll you play. play. Exactly. So there's no such thing. So what's the advantage of having week three or week four? Because we have to bubble wrap them in week four, but if they get right. hurt in week three, they get an extra week. Well... <laughs> The <laughs> logic week to start the rehab on your ACL, it's going to take right, a year. Right. The logic of preseason doesn't stand up to the slightest of scrutiny. Just no. the raw 
logic no. of it. The logic of why are you playing these guys and risking injury and, in a sport in which there's 100% injury rate always falls back to anecdotal and and mythological about toughness and yeah. practice and cohesion. And, and then and then it gets into evaluation of talent, which if it's a strike-shortened year or if there's a hurricane or natural disaster or something happens and camp gets shortened in two weeks, they could do it in two weeks. If you gave them six months of exhibition games to review, they would they would use all six months to go look at every tendency and every guy. You know, you could do this. So for the veterans, That's a good, yeah, it's it's a little bit. And again, my background is in baseball. Spring training is eyewash. It's all bullshit. But they can't get the pitchers ready. Any, any faster than they do, so that's why it exists. Position well, players are ready in two weeks. Yeah, the pitchers have to ramp up their throwing. The pitchers have slowly to ramp up slowly too, and that's like you can't avoid that. But the rest of it, the other guys, two weeks. They're like, ready to play, right? They're ready to play games. So yeah. camp could be two weeks. In well, essence, the NFL preseason used to be six weeks long. I know, six games. I know. Six, six games. games. Yes. Yeah, right. And games that was in, all out. And that was insanity. And it's now been reduced to four. It could be easily reduced to two or Absolutely. even one. They tell you to. They tell. They'll say no. We got to look at these players. No, you don't. You see them in practice. You right. and you know they've cut practice to like almost nothing now. They have like fifteen padded practices. Well, the other thing too is how many spots are up for grabs. Genuinely up for grabs on most NFL teams. Six, seven. On really bad teams, it might be ten. But might be rest, ten. It's 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 right. ten and under. Yeah. And the and the ten that you're deciding on, it's not so much that you're saying is Smith better than Jones. It's a question of are we carrying three tight ends or not? Yeah. Are we going to carry six wide receivers or not? And a lot so, of that is predicated on how's the health of the guy at the top of the depth chart, and you would know that, or you you know you would uh, avoid. Yeah, exposing them to injury by not playing them in the preseason. <laughs> I, you know what? It's uh, you and I, Drew, should bang the drum for this. Speaking of banging the drum, we should we should be the ones that we say, should. "I want to see a team do this," because th- there is no there's no data on this. Like, no. I want to see a team that does all walkthroughs for veterans all August long, I, conditioning walkthroughs, team meetings, conditioning walkthroughs, team meetings, keep them perfectly fresh, bubble wrap your starters, and then play week one and chart. How many penalties did you have? Were they out of sync? What's the completion percentage? How many missed assignments were there? And then compile some data for the course of three years, and you might find, hey, we actually execute better when everyone's healthy than we do if we run these guys through the grinder in August. When was the last work stoppage, like when camp was shortened? What year was that? Well, that was right. Was, that was that was oh. the year we lost the Hall of Fame game. Remember? Yeah. Oh, we lost the Hall oh, of Fame game. Awful. And then yeah. they came running back. The football, I, the players did to say, okay, okay, we're in. We're in now. We're, we're good. In, we're Sorry in. about that. I, I remember that. was that. 2010. 2010, because I remember that because uh, Aaron Rodgers took criticism because unlike other teams who, again, I wash NFL media industrial complex, Packers didn't get to get together for informal workouts. They worked out on their own. Other teams were getting together and playing pitch and catch, and it was a bonding thing when they would have been in camp and stuff. And they didn't do that. And I remember opening the opening game, I think the Packers played the Saints at Lambeau, and they won, and they put up like 35 or 38 points. And Rodgers came into his interview room in the media auditorium with kind of a wry smile, and he said, just imagine how our offense would have looked if we would have done workouts in the, together in the offseason. Because he was how that stinging is. from that. He, he, yeah. he, people were saying he wasn't a leader because he didn't call the guys in to, to put on shorts and get together and throw the ball around. And he's like, just think, of it. just think how we do. And he said it really wryly. And I, I was sitting, I was sitting like straight ahead from him. 
and I almost fell off my chair laughing. And everybody else was like, "Oh, is he? What kind of shot is it?" Like, what? How, they're trying to process what he was saying, and I was laughing so my bag off. Yeah, and not only that, but you know, this so-called third game, the pre, the uh, dress rehearsal game, is yeah. such bullshit because oh, your starters play a full half, right? That's mm-hmm. usually the dosage. When are eighty percent, if not more, of NFL games won in the fourth? quarter exactly they're one in the fourth quarter when one team has finally through its play calling and whatever else they've done leaned on and leaned on and leaned on their opponent and they get that break that crack in the game that lets them come in and score a touchdown to go ahead that's when games are won and you're not even simulating that in the so-called dress rehearsal no by not making if you don't make them come out after the halftime What's the point? Yeah, you know, and even then, you're right. Not playing into the fourth quarter, it'd be Their like practice. It'd be like a dress rehearsal for the uh, for for Oklahoma, and then not doing the big Oklahoma number at the end of the <laughs> yeah, play. Got to do it if that's even in Oklahoma. I'm not uh, big on the theater, but Oklahoma. <laughs> All right, Hall Drew of- and Zay. Wait, wait. This is the Zabe cast with Drew Olson. You, you come for the sports talk, and you stay for the show tunes. You stay for the show tunes, <laughs> indeed. Okay, Hall of Fame speechifying. Did you watch much on Saturday night? No, just highlights. I watched. Uh, I've seen Jerry Kramer's speech because he's Packer centric, and we're Packer sure. nation here. But the the other ones, um, just a, a soundbite or two, and that's plenty for me. Not only is he Packer nation and you're Packer centric, he's a great speaker. Yeah, like he has honed his craft well, over yeah. the years of being on the rubber chicken circuit. Correct. He, he is a guy. Okay, like I put him in a class of the great orators and just links to history. With Bob Euchre, because I've been spoiled enough that when I cover the Brewers, I was able to eat dinner with Euchre you know, hundreds of times over my career, just, just, just in the press room, yeah. bull, bullshitting before a game. And I've heard Euchre tell the same story 15, 20 times, and but, it busts me up every time. He's still awesome, and it's still I would still sit there. I would buy a ticket to hear him tell stories that I've heard before. Same thing with Jerry Kramer. If you're, if you're in the media in Wisconsin, you've heard him tell these yarns about the Ice Bowl and about Lombardi and stuff, but it's still awesome. Yeah. Here was him on contract negotiations 60 years ago. This is uh, Jerry Kramer at his Hall of Fame speech. Had a big contract negotiations. I'm sure these young boys would be excited by the numbers and and the the whole process. Uh, We're playing in the Shrine game, and the general manager for the Packers calls me over and says, if we'd like to talk contract with you, okay. So, I, you know, we didn't have uh, agents. We didn't have any information that was printed. We didn't have any idea of what the guys were making. So I go to my college coach and I say, what kind of, what kind of money should I ask for? He said, Jerry, if you can get $7,000, you'll be doing really good. <laughs> Seven grand. So A year. I went to San Francisco and went in to negotiate with the guys. And my general manager said, Jerry, we'd like to sign you to a contract. What are you thinking about? 8,000. Okay, sign here. (laughs) So I left a few bucks on the table. But then I recovered quickly. I said, I want a signing bonus too. He says, what about $250? Oh, that'd be great. That'd be super. (laughs) And it turns out that that signing bonus was really an advance. It was not an actual bonus. It wasn't a bonus. Yeah, they had to pay it back. Oh, it's good. You know, the other thing about Kramer and, and guys of his era, it's a window into a league that is unrecognizable today because of how big the NFL has gotten yeah. and how known every move is made. I mean, the fact that, you know, that players would negotiate their own deals is hilarious. Oh, and then what the, the legend of Curly Lambeau when he was running the, the, the Packers was that 
he had different sets of contracts. Like he was, they were paying Don Hudson more than anybody. But what he would do is he'd bring you Steve Zabin and you'd be negotiating your deal. And he had a fake Don Hudson contract with like, you know, $4,000 on it. And he would say, look at, I'm not supposed to show you this, but this is Hudson's contract and you can't make more than him. Right. You can't. And Hudson's a great player. I got to make more than him. And so. Oh, the yeah, tricks that they the used trickery. to play. Oh God. Yeah. I remember, uh, did you, I'm sure you, well, maybe, uh, you being a baseball guy, Lords of the Realm by John Hellyar. Oh yeah. Sure. Okay. Great book about how baseball negotiations used to be back in the bad old days of Branch Rickey and the, the Brooklyn Dodgers and whatnot. Uh, I believe it was Ricky or maybe it was Al Campanis. They, uh, they talked about the GM of the Dodgers had a buzzer under his desk and he could press it and it would make his phone ring. And in the middle of contract negotiations at a tense point with a player sitting right across the desk, they would make the phone ring and he'd pick it up for a fake conversation and start talking about, oh, really? Send, send Smith down to the minors? No, no, we, we, we like him. You know, like he would, he would bring up something that would disturb the player sitting across from him. Mm-hmm. And that shit went on all the time. And then they took that desk with the button and they, they moved it up uptown and it was Matt Lauer's desk later. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good love one. How you, uh, love how ah. you tie it forward. I did not watch the speeches. I, I've watched some uh, of the clips. I just don't. I know I know football I, fans that do watch it on Saturday night and they're really into it. And if that's your thing, that's great. I just can't. I don't have the attention span. I don't. No. 33 minutes of Ray Lewis and his nonsense. I don't have I, time. Yeah. I'll get the best viral clips the next day if there are any. Yeah, and then Ray Lewis is a special case as well. The story hit, you know, there's uh, right before that of, you know, how the Shield kind of just kind of pr- help protect him along the way. Oh, the, well, the fact that he's a national commentator now after what he was involved in is like. Is he still a national commentator? Well, I thought he, he had a career with ESPN. Let's put it that way. He was on the air, you know. Yeah. I, I did, Yeah, I just think that, you know, Ray Lewis was one of those guys like Kobe Bryant who should no longer be sort of accepted in polite society. You, you would obviously say, well, great player. He's in the Hall of Fame, but we're not going in business with Ray Lewis or Kobe Bryant. Lawrence and yet, Taylor, Pete Rose, the others. Well, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> there's different levels of transgressions, but holy shit, Ray Lewis brought two thugs with him to the Super Bowl who bought murder weapons at a sporting goods store where Ray Lewis was doing an appearance for money that week. And those guys got into a fight and ended up stabbing and murdering two guys at the Cobalt Lounge. Did Ray Lewis do the actual stabbing? No. But Ray Lewis was in that limo that sped away and threw a bloody mink coat into a dumpster or somewhere and was never found again. And mm-hmm. was convicted of obstruction of justice. Holy shit, that's really, really, really bad. Even if he didn't do a single stabby stab along the way. And Kobe Bryant basically, uh, according to the evidence, raped that poor girl up in Eagle, Colorado. And it's like, oh, now he's a fully redeemed guy. Mm -hmm. Same for A-Rod. A-Rod, Drew, should not be accepted in polite baseball society. He's a liar and a cheater and threw people under the bus. Fuck him. Why is he on every television I see all over the place? Uh, Yeah, someday he might manage or own a team or something. Who knows? Rick Pitino. After he banged that support, that booster in the in the restaurant booth, and then paid for her to go get an abortion, he should have never been allowed back in polite college basketball society. And yet here he was on CBS 
doing tournament commentary after his Cardinals were knocked out in the yeah. first round. Yeah. And this is even before the scandal that cost him his job. I just Television is so shameless, where if you are a big enough name and if you look good on TV, they don't care what you've done. They will put you on TV. This is very true. And, and, that's and sports for is you. forgiving and sports is uh, about second chances and, you know. That's... Mind you, and I never said that Ray Lewis shouldn't play again. I didn't say no. Kobe Bryant shouldn't play again. And you shouldn't I just, like, cheer I... for him or put a statue of him outside your stadium? And no. if fans want to <laughs> cheer for him, that's fine. But you would think that certain media outlets would say, we're going to exercise a you... little bit of moral restraint and say we're Which... not going to business with Kobe Bryant. Which spins us into the Urban Meyer discussion. All right, let's get into Urban Meyer. Friday was a huge day, and they they did it very well, did Ohio State. A Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern news dump right into the garbage dumpster of the news cycle is done for the week, so it didn't have as much impact. It wasn't talked about as much. It will be today, though, uh, in sports. So basically what we found out on Friday, Drew, was that according to Sean Smith, if you believe him, he was called back from a recruiting trip by Gene Smith, the athletic director of the Ohio State University, to account for accusations by his wife that he was domestically abusing her. At that time, Sean Smith said he not only met with Gene Smith, the AD, but he went voluntarily to the local police department to say, here's my side of the story. No charges were filed. No arrests were made. Now, what did Urban Meyer know at the time? According to Smith, Meyer knew something, and that's when Smith went into Meyer at practice and said, look, you know, I didn't hit her. And Urban Meyer said, if you hit her, you're off the team. And Smith said, trust me, coach, if I hit her, I wouldn't show up for work. That's the extent of apparently what we know so far. But none of this has been corroborated, Drew. And so now it's going to be interesting. Is there documentation that Urban Meyer alerted his bosses, namely Gene Smith and the department, as to what he had heard in 2015? If there's documentation of this, and if Gene Smith admits, yes, I knew about this 2015 incident, I talked to Coach Smith, Urban Meyer is in the clear as long as Ohio State wants to keep him, which I think they desperately want to keep him. Your thoughts? I, I think they want to keep him, but they want to keep this at a simmer and not a boil. But right. The thing is, you're right. It just, I just go back to Penn State, man. They, yeah, well, we kicked it upstairs, and those guys are complicit, and Urban Meyer has more juice than the guys who are allegedly his bosses. Okay, so you know, Urban he's got Meyer. The, he's got the bigger swinging dick in the room than okay. the AD, right? I right. mean, come on. He's a $7 million a year well, mid middle manager is what you're telling me, and that he I pass it up to my bosses and I put it in their hands, and then you know that was the end of it from my standpoint. And then why did Urban Meyer lie at Media Day? That's a whole separate issue, and that one and, we have to put to the side for just a second. Let me go back to the 2015 incident. So Urban Meyer hears that 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 Sean Smith's or Zach Smith's wife. Yeah, the Smiths are confusing. There are really a lot of Smiths in this. Yeah. Urban Meyer finds out in 2015 that Zach Smith says, my wife is claiming I'm abusing her. I'm not, or at least I never hit her. No police report is filed. There's no evidentiary, you know, documents to review. Is Urban Meyer supposed to fire Zach Smith right then and there based on the accusation of his wife? Um, You could 
suspend until further do what they're doing administrative leave while we investigate. So you know? in other words, we're going to the this Ohio State University. We're going to investigate. This is like claims. the wide receivers coach. How how vital is he to the war effort? No, no, no. <laughs> no. I know that, and I agree with you. I guess what I'm saying is, what would have made this a lot easier is if Zach Smith's wife had called the police and had filed a report. Then you can yeah. t- you have that in hand, Drew, and you can say, "We got to let you go." This looks bad. She's filed a report. There's details of how you choked and hit her or whatever, and it, it, it can't happen. She didn't do that for reasons that are only known to her. And and so it's a little bit tricky in that regard because what are you supposed to do? Fire him right away based okay. on her accusations? But then, again, this is all about – this isn't about getting to the truth, and it's not about – it's about – this guy was fired because Brett McMurphy posted something on Facebook. Right, because the dirty laundry finally came out. And, and so because otherwise McMurphy... he'd be there forever as long as Urban Meyer was there. So right. let's just call that what it is. I mean, okay, so Urban Meyer was going to keep him despite this rumbling stuff. Now you're saying like, oh, did they have in, they had insufficient information or evidence? No, it's just that they, absent their own investigation as to what really happened, they only mm-hmm. had her going... I mean, Zach Smith went to the police. At least he says this. Now, I I preface all of this with, I want to see more evidence. I want to see more paper trail. I want to wait for the next shoe to drop because I don't know if this is actually true. You'll be disappointed because you'll see that they didn't investigate it with a lot of vigor. Okay. (laughs) That they were... They, they weren't investigating. They were sweeping under the rock. I think that's the way it's going to go. That's the way it always goes. Well, we could, you know, the police department could have swept it under the rock as well. Exactly. Because in cities like that, you that don't think, shit I happens. Mean, exactly. Right. Of course. So, okay. So, Here, what we the, know is yeah. that Urban Meyer had, okay, Urban, what's the deal with this? You know, he fired this guy. What's the deal? Oh, I didn't know anything about it. Well, and then Why do smash you lie cut that? a week later. Oh, I did know about it, but you know, yeah. I just well. Yeah. That's a whole. That's the other part that's of it. The, is why would he lie at media day? Maybe yeah. he thought he didn't want more chum in the water, and so he was going to just sort of gloss this over. Did he think that it would make him look bad? Like, oh, I knew about 2015, but now I just decided to fire him. Yeah, that does look bad. That there's a hole there. There's a disconnect. So to trust trust Urban Meyer at your own peril. He and the the thing about it, Zabe, and I told you last time we spoke about this, he needed to come out and say, "Man, I screw up. I screwed up. I feel really bad for Zach's wife and I uh, all the all sufferers of domestic all victims. We got to do more. We got to do better. I got to do better. I could I, I missed an opportunity. There was, she didn't even mention her. No mention of the victim in his statement on Friday. Well. I know a lot of people want that, and then that opens up a whole nother can of worms. You know, he wasn't the one abusing her, you know? Just say, if she was abused, I'm horribly sorry, because you still, uh, you know, we don't know legally, and you're not implicating. They have lawyers there that could have made that a better yeah. statement. They have lawyers and PR people, and again, they screwed up because they always do, because they're there to protect Urban Meyer's right. image and the Ohio State University a, cash cow. From a purely... It's always follow the money. I know. From a purely selfish standpoint, if you are the... Ohio State University, would you, should you fire him? If from a, uh, yes. Because why? Uh, because of the lying. Okay. <laughs> because of the, because it, because of the disconnect there. You can't live with this guy after this lie. Yeah. I mean, what's. Hell of a football coach. What, I know. You might win six games for the next three years. Yeah. I mean, call me cynical, but do you trust him? 
I'd trust them to win games. <laughs> if would, I'm if I'm Ohio well, State, if I'm Ohio State, I keep him and I suspend him a couple games for lying to the media. I go, he he should have exercised better judgment. But at the end of the day, he did nothing. Like assuming he did nothing to actively protect Zach Smith from getting fired, that changes the equation. If he actively was blocking, like the let's say Gene Smith said, we got to fire this guy, and 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 Meyer's like, nah, let's hold off on that, and let's say there's evidence of that. Yes, then he's got to go. Yeah. If Urban Meyer was an active protector of this guy, then he's got to go. If he knew about it and reported it, and said, you know, if you guys want me to get rid of him, I will, but I'm going to leave it in your hands, then I would say suspend the guy for lying, keep him, let the media storm blow over, and keep your ass-kicking coach, who's a $7.5 million asset, for a $50 million annual budget program. Maybe $50 million, maybe more maybe than that. more, yeah, probably more, $75 million. That's right? a very cynical view. Yeah, this is well. But, it's, it, but guess what? We're running a business here, Drew. You, you want to be more cynical th- that they're still in cahoots because it was what two hours after the uh, Urban Meyer statement came out that Zach Smith spoke to ESPN that he was on Sports Center. Yeah. Like, how the fuck is that a coincidence? It's not. They're it still was, working together, and it was all after four o'clock it's on a Friday, or- and it's all orchestrated. We're running a business here. Yeah, if I'm, a if I'm Zach Smith's lawyer, no way do I let him go on TV unless the, the university there's. Uh, under the table payments or promises yeah, of know. we'll take care of you somewhere else. You'll land a year from now. You'll get a job with our buddy somewhere. Like I don't know who knows. But Urban Meyer is slimy and shady and full of shit. And that In other makes words, him. And that makes him like ninety percent of most big time college coaches. <laughs> yes. The smaller time college coaches. Oh no, some of them are the most ethical, straight laced guys. It's hard to get to the pinnacle of D one in football or basketball and not be. At least somewhat of those three things. Slimy, shady, and full of shit. And they're also all controlling, obsessive about control. Oh, yeah. And the the I didn't know denial just doesn't fucking wash. One more before we get to fuck that guy. How about Johnny Football's debut for the Montreal Alouettes? Stink, stank, stunk. Four picks, Drew, in the first half. And then they pulled the plug. That was going to be, uh, I was thinking about fuck that guy on Mike Sherman, who I like a lot. <laughs> Former Packers coach, now coaching the Alouettes. Then what you, were you doing you playing can't, that guy? You can't give a fuck that guy to Mike Sherman. Not if you like him. <laughs> I like him a lot, but what is he doing playing Manziel? You knew this was going to be a circus. You went for the circus. You knew he sucks, and you still played him. Apparently, the Alouettes are the worst team in the CFL. Like, really, really bad. That, and he uh, proved it. So, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, that that was um, so. Is Johnny Manziel's hopes of ever being on an NFL roster again over after one performance in the CFL? Yes or no? Yeah, pretty much. And pretty much. And, and what were the chances prior to that half? Were they five percent? Let's say it was just it was just a matter of somebody had to give him the opportunity to expose himself. Did it go from five percent to zero? Yeah. But, Did I mean, it go it from one percent? He didn't to zero? have a huge. He didn't have a huge. Uh, did, there was no huge. Did window. it go from two percent to point seven percent? Now I'm like throwing all these random numbers at you. Suffice to say, he he looked bad. He looked like a runaround yeah. guy who is just not very good at playing quarterback in pro football, and that's not a shame per se. No. A lot of college guys end up that way, whether it's Tim Tebow he, or Johnny Manziel or Robert Griffin the Third. It's hard at this level. Johnny, play go play in the Arena League. That way you can have a losing record and still win the championship. Doesn't pay very well. 
<laughs> yeah, but doesn't pay very well. All right, here All we right. go. Buckle up, everybody. I'm not a good guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. All right, here we go. All right. Weekly installment. Who deserves the big FTG from you, Drew, this week? FTG to the GOAT. The GOAT. Tom Brady? No, Michael Jordan. Fuck Michael Jordan. Because? Because the president tweeted about LeBron James, which was awful, but we don't need to get into that. But then Michael Jordan's statement. What did Jordan say about it? Through his spokesperson, Jordan told NBC News, I support LJ, LeBron James. He's doing an amazing job for his community. Did he say LJ? Yes. Nobody calls him LJ. It's LBJ. Yeah. I support LJ. And and, and Michael couldn't beat him. Now, Michael's from the Republicans buy shoes to school. He's never been political. So what did you want Michael Jordan to do? To clown Trump? To clobber him over the head? Michael Jordan and Trump are not that dissimilar. In um, what way? Um, completely ruthless, ob- trash talking, obs- obsessive, narcissistic. <laughs> everything I do is the best and the greatest, and fuck everybody else. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, this. I, I don't know why I was disappointed by Jordan. I'm not surprised, but I gotta say, but, fuck that guy. Okay, come on, because right. his, his because it, he came out in support of LeBron as tepidly as you possibly could support LeBron. He did. He's doing an amazing job for his community. Why even bother putting a statement out or why even bother saying anything? So to Michael Jeffrey Jordan, still the goat of still basketball the in your no mind. Doubt greatest entrepreneur, Drew, shoe magnate, everything. Drew Olson says. Fuck that guy. All right, my fuck that guy goes to one Philip Mickelson back in the FTG crosshairs. <laughs> He's been all the time. Listen, He's a Hall of Famer FTG. Okay, listen. Uh, that silly shirt commercial that went viral, well-executed viral campaign. Make it lame, make it super white and dorky, and it'll get a lot of retweets and comments. I applaud them for that. But now Phil Mickelson, Drew, is doing these dance moves and shimmy shakes on the golf course which he did several Ugh. times at Firestone after hitting shots. So you're just a step and shuffle act now. Is that it, Phil? Oh, hey, I hit a good shot. Shuffle, oh. shuffle, shuffle. Here's a dance move. I mean, how broke are you? How badly are you gambling these days, Phil, that you need this much money from your stupid dress shirt partnership with that company? Give it up. Play golf. Win something and stop doing dance moves. So to you, Philip Mickelson, fuck that guy. <laughs> I do love this rollicking song. Good job, CeeLo Green, even though he is a date rape guy. Not cool <laughs> date raping chicks, but this song is good. For more of Drew Olson, find him on Twitter at Drew Olson MKE. O L S O N not E N and listen spelling. to Drew on the Big 920 in Wisconsin or better yet on the iHeart Radio app. You got it down, my brother. I love it, buddy. We'll talk next week. You bet. All right, we'll end with this today. The museum in Washington DC has caved to the online mob. Quick disclaimer, although I don't need to make this disclaimer. My sister Anne Marie Nine years my junior, once worked for 
the museum. What is the museum? Well, it's a beautiful building. It's a beautiful museum uh, about uh, journalism and news and broadcast journalism and all kinds of levels and different flavors of journalism, including political journalism, journalism, obviously, and sports journalism and everything else. Al Newhart, the founder of USA Today, was the guy that you know footed the money to build this museum in a beautiful, gleaming, glass facade building right there in downtown D.C. It's a private museum, though, and that's key. In this town, there are scads and scads of free museums that are operated by the National Park Service, and by the government. And if you're a tourist and you're coming to town and you have all these free museums, are you really excited if you've got four kids and two adults to go spend 20 bucks a head to get into the museum? The answer is no. And the museum, like many private museums in D.C., is struggling big time. In fact, some say it's on the verge of closing shop, that they may sell their building and fold it up and say, that's it, we've, we've done enough. I never really probed myself. All I know is my sister wasn't really happy working there, and that's why she ended up leaving. And maybe it's because also they you know don't have a lot of money. It's tough. It's tough to do. So the museum apparently has been selling tchotchkes and trinkets and T-shirts and whatnot because, hey, man, the gift shop at any museum, big dollars, right? You get the Chinese-made stuffed animals, of which I have bought a trillion of in my adult parental lifetime. You know these things cost about 4 bucks max, and they're getting 15 or 2 bucks and they're getting tw- whatever. You're wasting money. But your kids are crying, I really want the giraffe. Okay, just get them the damn giraffe, for God's sakes. So the museum was selling things such as Make America Great Again hats. Oh, boy. And they were selling T-shirts that say, You are very fake news. A, a Donald Trump saying. And a Donald Trump concept. Fake news. At first, the museum said, Hey, these things are popular and we sell them. And we're running a business here, and we don't take sides politically. That was their first statement. Then, a couple hours later on Friday, they come out and say, okay, we're going to take out the very fake news comments. We're going to take out the You Are Very Fake News t-shirts. And we're going to issue a statement saying that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Okay, good. Yes! Put the fist in the air. Here's the problem. Even though that phrase is a Trumpian phrase, it could apply to a lot of things. Like, the fact that they can't recognize the museum that there is such a thing as fake news, and sometimes it's on both sides of the aisle, is a little bit troubling to me. That they can't understand that there is biased news, and fake news, and narratives, and agendas. And oftentimes, the angle unexamined is the main source of bias in presenting any story about something going on in the world or the country today. All you have to do is to not examine a certain argument. Well, why do we do, why do, we do this thing that way? If you don't present perhaps one side of the argument, which is not popular, then you are not doing a thorough job. 
But of course, they've got to cape up for journalists and journalism and assume that every journalist is doing a great job and they are saints and wonderful people and completely unbiased, which you and I know is complete bullshit. The original fake news was people I saw on the left that would scream out and make signs about faux news channel instead of Fox News channel, F-A-U-X. Aha, aha, get it? Fake news? And in this day and age of the interwebs and social media and clickbait, there's tons of fake news out there. Things that are not news that are actually put forth as quote-unquote news or put forth as important. Things like, you know, people getting a butt hurt on social media about something. Or outrage. Uh, Twitter was outraged. That's not news. Just because a certain percentage of people get on their social media sites and accounts and and bitch and moan, that's not news. News is, here's something that's happening in the world. Here's something that is important. Here's something that is interesting. Here's something that you may not know. Not some celebrity apologizes for a tweet from five years ago. To me, that is fake news. But yeah, the t-shirts are apparently gone now from the museum shop, and another nail is in the coffin of a otherwise pretty good museum. Have I been? No. Your sister could have gotten you in for free. I know. I never went. I'm sorry. I should have. I better go quick before they actually go out of business, because I'm sure they got some interesting stuff there. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and hit up that Reddit thread. Yes, there is one about how great this podcast is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, and more. And always remember, take a big fistful of free golf tees next time you're at an expensive golf club. Because guess what? They got barrels of them in the back. You deserve it. Don't be shy. I do every time. I mean, I do a candy crane of golf tees. And I look right at the caddy or the guy at the front desk like, what? These are free, right? Okay. Candy crane into the bag. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Because it's summertime.